Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Happy Sunday morning to you, Michael, uh, coming off a, a win over NC State where, uh, I, you know, I, I hate to say this, but I think you were incorrect in your prediction, but I would say that you're probably happy that you were incorrect. And frankly, if you, if you keep picking uh, wrong, you, so what, you missed the Louisville one and now this one, I say keep picking FSU to lose. Was that, was that your, uh, were you playing the long con the whole way? Was this a reverse jinx? Absolutely. I, I would I would definitely not pick against this team against a squad like NC State. I was just, you know, giving them a little little bulletin board material. That, you know, because we do know the coaches are listening to the uh, – they're listening to the pod. I saw Raekwon Evans got about 90 seconds of two-foul action uh, in the first half there in Raleigh. So, I, I think they're slowly trying to dip their toe in the, that water. Uh, so, that that makes sense now, just bulletin board material as we headed up to, uh, to Raleigh to face a pesky NC State Wolfpack team. Uh, this is the, the Hoops Dedicated Podcast uh, for Tomahawk Nation. I'm Matt Minnick, and, and I'm joined by Michael Rogner, as always, coming at you on February 23rd, 2020. We are steamrolling our way uh, close to March, and, and we're actually going to talk a little bit uh, in this episode. We're going to break down sort of why is Florida State – tapped out maybe at the at the two seed line and even and even then they, they probably st- need to keep winning to get to that two seed as opposed to maybe what a, a more gaudy record would would suggest otherwise uh, so we're, we're gonna get into that we're of course gonna break down the NC State game we're gonna uh, and then and then maybe get, get a deep dive mega preview with the with the the old Metro Conference matchup here between Louisville and Florida State coming up tomorrow night 
but first, uh, so let's start with the with the NC State game. You you were concerned, I, I think, legitimately concerned about this matchup. And and to be fair, Florida State was only a one or one and a half point favorite in Vegas and on Kimpom. And and it to me, it looked like that when when Florida State had its starters on the court. So so the second half when they were play when the ball handlers were playing it looked to me like Florida state was just the better team in almost every facet. Is that how it appeared to you, Michael? Yeah, I, I was pleasantly surprised with our ability to kind of shut down Markel Johnson and Devin Daniels, particularly in the, in, in the second half. Um, we have, we have not seen Florida state be hugely successful on teams that are really good dribble drives. Uh, but, Florida State definitely did it yesterday. This was kind of a throwback to, you know, an, an earlier uh, game in the season. We, we lost that game to Virginia where we just never really changed the game plan. And then the next, the next time out against Virginia Tech, you saw Ham kind of shrink the defense. Did the same thing yesterday against NC State, just kind of sh- uh, shrunk the defense a little bit. And in the second half, I was – I was particularly pleased with our defensive effort, and I don't think it's going to show up as one of the, you know, top two or three defensive games of the year. But I really think it was. Um, I mean, it's not going to show up, you know, statistically, but I think that um, it was one of the best defensive efforts that we've given this season. And if you look at the second half in particular, we had four guys play twenty minutes, which is real, which is totally unheard of um, for a Leonard Hamilton coach team, and then. Patrick Williams came in and played 15 minutes. We basically had the, the same guys on the floor um, from the 15-minute mark down to uh, – I, th- I think we put Raekwon Evans in when there's like 10 seconds left in the game. Um, but it was, it was the same, guy, same, same crew of guys. You know, it was Patrick Williams, Trent Forrest, Malik Osborne, Devin Vassell, and, and MJ Walker. And he just, he just rode them for the entire second half, and, and, and Florida State was able to pull away. Yeah, that is that is different, certainly for a Leonard Hamilton team, uh, and and I think it's worth you calling that out. That he, you know, we we all know that that Coach Ham prides Florida State on being a team of depth and a team of you know everybody has a role to play. We we almost have twelve role players, if you will, and he he like you said rode uh, you know Trent Forrest, M.J. Walker, Malik Osborne, Devin Vassell, uh, Patrick Williams. I mean, they they played a ton of minutes and they, they did they did pretty well I mean the second the second half was so let's see FSU was down five at halftime one by six so that's just an 11 point you know outscoring them by 11 there and even then it really probably was this eight or nine point win with with a little bit of you know small sample size fluky free throw shooting by by Malik Osborne and, and MJ down the stretch so yeah, that that was an impressive second half, and and some of the things that we talked about before the game, offensive rebounding and and both NC State's sort of liability on the defensive glass, as well as FSU's propensity to get on the defensive or the offensive glass, that was huge. And then as well as just that we we didn't think that NC State was going to be able to, uh, you know, shoot. So above their average from three, like they did against Duke, like they did against Duke for two games in a row, and particularly it seemed like Markel Johnson, who was five of six against Duke from three, came crashing back down. You know, reverted to the mean and went one for six. Maybe let's touch on the offensive rebounds first. 
that played out kind of as we expected, although it was Osborne grabbing five of them uh, in a game. And, and then, of course, Vassell, as he normally does, hits the glass hard and, and Williams, too. Were, were you maybe su- surprised and pleasantly surprised by Osborne's effort there? Yeah, we should definitely give a, a little bit of a shout out to Malik. That's the game that that Florida State has really been waiting for from him. You know, 12 rebounds, two blocks. He, uh, you know, only took eight shots, which considering the minutes he played, played 30 minutes. Um, you know, that's, that's kind of the role that that he needs to be in right now is, is score some points when when they're there, you know, but you're on the floor to play defense and rebound and block shots and and he, you know, he had a fantastic game. You mentioned he had five of Florida State's 15 offensive rebounds. That's that's the, you know, we t- we talked about that in the last pod. Florida State has only lost one game when they when they um, rebound more than 30 percent of their own misses. You know, it's sort of been the magic number, and that was about NC State's average, I think, for the for the year. And so now Florida State is is 18 and one in games in which they uh, rebound. To, over 30% of their own misses, which yeah, is... they're right at about 40% uh, in this game. So, yeah, kudos to yep, you pulling exactly. that stat prior, and it played out exactly as you <laughs> as you projected. Yeah, and Devin had three, and Patrick Williams had a couple. Uh, Polite had a couple. So it was it, it was a good team effort on the, on the offensive glass. Uh, Florida State started off, it looked like it might be another one of these games where they were going to turn the ball over a ton, but then they, they kind of righted the ship on, on, on that. Um, and so if Florida State's not turning the ball over and they're extending a bunch of possessions. That's it's also, I guess, kind of part of the reason it was such a low possession game is that Florida State was, you know, getting rebounds and kicking them out and kind of resetting the clock. Um, but if Florida State's not turning the ball over, you know, this it's a it's a really dangerous team. Even when we don't shoot well, we only made twenty six percent of our threes against NC State. But yeah, it's it it, it was a good. Good team effort. Great job on the offensive glass. You know, great job in the in the second half with the with the weird lineup, um, and it was and it was another quad one win for for Florida State, which is pretty much gold at this point. Yeah, we're and I want to talk about that uh, in a few minutes here in terms of the quad ones and twos and all that. How that affects seating was was Markel Johnson's performance. Did Florida State's length, did our ability to extend our defensive pressure out to 24, 25 feet, you think bother Markel Johnson? Was it, was it simply, again, you just don't shoot way above your average two, three games in a row, or it may be a little bit of both. What, what were your thoughts on that? Yeah. I, th- I thought with, with him and Daniels, um, the, our pressure got, you know, they may have gotten to him a little bit, not, not, you know, not the way that we've seen it get to somebody like when, you know, when we play Miami or something, um, got to him a little bit, but, but really we were just daring those guys to shoot, you know, Markel Johnson could have taken 33s if he wanted to that game, you know, Florida state once, once he got to the point where it was obvious he wanted to drive Florida state was just backing, backing off him and, you know, letting him come to them, you know, if he, he, he was was open from three the whole game. He only, you know he ended up taking six six from three and, and made one, um, and it, it was an important way for Florida State to be able to kind of shut down that that drive. And then with with other guys um, like Bryce and and Braxton Beverly in particular, you know Florida State was really getting up in the up in their up in their grills and 
and it looked like Braxton Beverly might kind of get hot and, and, and make a bunch of threes. But then, he, then after he made two in a row, he never got another three for the rest of the game, you know, because Florida State was just all over him. The length was, was really disruptive for a little guy like Beverly. And then Markel Johnson, the length was disruptive once he actually got into the paint. Yeah, the the point about Beverly is a great one. I think I'm more impressed that we we held him to only three attempts from three as opposed to that he made two. And and to your point about the length, I, he only played 14 minutes. I, I I I definitely think he's a guy that just it became clear after we adjusted that you know he was not going to be able to get off the kind of shots in rhythm that perhaps he's gotten in previous games. You know, we, so we, we talked about the offensive rebounds playing out exactly as we kind of predicted and hoped. Markel Johnson only had one turnover. You know, we got, we got the, the in-control in Markel that perhaps we were hoping to see someone a bit more out of control. But it never felt like – so despite that he only had one turnover, it never felt like he was dictating the, the tempo or being able to get to his spots on the court as much as it was just that we, as you said, we sort of dared him to shoot and he wasn't, he wasn't able to, to make, to make the shots, which, which in basketball, that's, that's a lot of times what it comes down to. Does this encourage you? You talked about the adjustment that the UVA game, we saw no adjustments and then we saw it against Virginia tech. Uh, We've now seen it here against, uh, NC State and, and we also threw that that zone at Syracuse that was effective for a little bit it does this make you feel better going into March where where in the early rounds you can often find you know, play a team if you're playing a 14 seed a 12 seed they they maybe have a smaller guard who's great at, at you know dribble drive penetration because maybe they're they're not a high major team and what they were able to recruit was a talented quick guard who wasn't as big otherwise he'd be on you know, UNC instead of, instead of maybe East Carolina. Uh, but so does this make you feel better going into March uh, in, in terms of the types of adjustments that this defense, uh, this year's version of the Hamilton defense is capable of making? Yeah, I think Ham throws us out all the time that there's six new guys on the team. You know, Jack's not really playing. So maybe really more like five new guys on the team. And I, I think it, it took a while for, the staff to kind of figure out how to manage these guys. And it, it definitely seems like in the, in the last, um, say since the beginning of February. So for this month, um, Florida state has been able to make, um, some little adjustments that they weren't able to make earlier in the season. And and it, it, it appears to me to be that the coaches have just a better understanding of what they're getting out of, out of the new guys and how those new guys mesh with the older guys and how to kind of work all of those parts together, which is, I mean, that's what coaching is all about. That's what you want to see. You want to see, you want to see teams um, sort of being able to do things at the end of February that they weren't able to do a month or two earlier. So I'm definitely pretty enthusiastic about the uh, sort of evolution of this team. And I think that, that we're playing, um, you know, pretty good basketball compared to where we were earlier in the season, even though we were winning a bunch of games, you know, earlier early, earlier in the season. Um, you know, to be able to roll through the ACC right now at, at 13 and three, we've won six of the last seven. Um, we're seeing, you know, you mentioned the zone. We're seeing some other little tweaks. We're seeing tweaks with minutes. So, yeah, I, I, I'd say for sure the coaches are, are kind of starting to figure this thing out. You know, all that said, 
you know, it only takes one game to, to end everything. So, you know, let's not get, you know, let's not pencil this team in for a deep run in the ACC tournament or NCAA tournament just yet, you know, but, but the signs are certainly pointing in a positive direction. Yeah. You, I don't even want to speak it into existence. It does only take one game as, as UVA fans found out two years ago to, to, to ruin a great, a great season. But I, I, I think that what you just made was a fantastic point. And, and so I'm glad, and I think you framed it in a good way too. As much as people talk about how someone, let's say like Raekwon Evans has to come in and learn the system and adjust to ACC talent and, and be able to have the game start to slow down for him. Like, like we've seen with Patrick Williams, perhaps lately the game really start. He seems to be understanding his role now. That is also an equally true of the coaching staff knowing when is this guy going to make the right difference? And, and you talk about a lot of times, whether it's a teacher or a coach, you want to set up, set your students or, or set your players up for success, not up for failure. And it does feel like maybe since that second half of the Miami game, and then we get, we went, you know, we played well against Duke. It just shots just didn't fall played really well against Syracuse in a game that you look if you know, a year from now you look back and you say, Oh, we beat Syracuse by three. Again, we didn't have our best player. Um, so I think they've been playing really well. And a lot of that is, is really well articulated by what you said around the coaching staff seems to know when a guy is going to be able to make that right adjustment or who, who maybe isn't ready to make that particular type of, of adjustment yet. Uh, if only we could, if only we could see a little bit more action with some of the guys in, in the two foul participation, but, and before we move on, I do want to give a shout out to MJ Walker, uh, since he was the Ken Palm MVP and he, he really did all of what I'm about to read in the second half. He only played six minutes in the first half. He picked up a couple early fouls, sat the rest of the first half. And that's probably one, a big reason why we were tra- uh, trailing at halftime. But so essentially these stats are from the second half. But he had uh, he had 12 points on on only seven shots. He uh, had four defensive rebounds, three assists, no turnovers, grabbed two steals, one of which led to a to a really nice transition bucket early in the second half that that kind of jump started things for FSU. Oh, and by the way, he he finished the game with those with those two fouls, uh, as did Trent Forrest, j- just the two fouls. So the two of Forrest and Walker combined for four, but. I wanted to give a hat tip to MJ Walker. Is is he the guy? Maybe the most guy on the guy on this team who the, the can impact our ceiling the most in the sense that you kind of know what you're going to get from Devin Vassell. You kind of know what you're going to get now from Patrick Williams on a night in night out basis. He's going to grab you six or seven rebounds. He's going to get um, you know a few buckets underneath where you're just like, wow, he's a better athlete. It seems like when, MJ, when, when Florida State gets good or even great MJ Walker, that the ceiling gets ratcheted up a, a notch or two. Is that, is that fair? Yeah, I think he's, he's the surprise of the season. He's, he's been, you know, coming, coming into the season injured, you know, and then to be able to put up the numbers that he's been able to put up, you know, despite having multiple injuries, uh, it, it's been, uh, impressive we we during his first two years here you know we complained a lot that he was trying to do too much that his his future was just to knock down threes and play defense and he proved that you know development is is much stronger 
you know, in the, in this, in this program than we were given it credit for. And well, actually that's not true. I, I take that back. Anyway, uh, his personal development is much his stronger personal than, development. Yeah, yeah. than we were given credit for. And he's just a very different player than he was his first two years here. And Florida state came out of the half yesterday and MJ scores 10 points before the under 16 timeout. I mean, it was, it was, it was a pretty remarkable um, you know, five minute stretch where you could see just one guy come out of the half. He was like, screw this. I've been sitting on the bench for 14 minutes. And then he went out and, and, you know, actually put it together and just put the team on his back. You know, there's these, these stat nerds put together these win probability charts that, you know, kind of go through the game. And so at the beginning of the game, Florida state had a 55% chance of winning, which means that we were about a one point favorite. And then, you know, then it's tracks live. And so at halftime, our win percentage was 32%. Uh, at that break, at that first under 16 timeout, we had gone from 32% chance of winning to 63% chance of winning. So it was just, and it was pretty much all MJ, just just totally going out and and being stone cold there to, to, to start the half. So kudos to him. We've been given lots of, of credit late, lately to Patrick Williams, who, who certainly deserves it. Um, and we've talked about how tough MJ is and, and uh, you know, in a, in a few other pods. But this, this is one of those games where it's just like if MJ, like you said earlier, if MJ plays like this um, and is able to knock down shots, then, then Florida State is just awfully tough to beat because you've got MJ, Trent Porras, Devin Vassell that are all very difficult uh, guys for an opposing coach to, you know, to try to match up against. Yeah, he. I asked him. I asked him a couple after. Maybe it was after the Syracuse game, the split lip game, and I said, "Is this? You know, did you? Is it great seeing a guy like Terrence Mann come back? A guy who worked for four years, maybe a, you know, over exceeded perhaps what some felt was possible, or or proved some people wrong, and now now he's in the NBA, getting you know some minutes with the Clippers." And MJ's response was kind of you know, everyone has their own path. And, and I, I don't get concerned with whether people thought I should have been a one done or anything. like. I mean, people have their own path. And I just, I just keep showing up every day trying to work hard and, and get better. And he has 100% gotten better. And just there's two stats that I think I, I want to that just encapsulate the difference, the jump that he's made from from last year to this year. So in ACC, in conference play only, so let's smooth it out, get rid of some of the, the weaklings and just talk, look at conference play only. Last year, MJ Walker had a 24% turnover rate and shot 30% from three, right? So that, you, you don't want to have your turnover rate almost as high as your three-point rate. <laughs> um, this year, he's taken his turnover rate from 24 down to 16. He's almost, he's almost cut his turnovers in half. and and he's shooting almost 40%, 39.5% from three in conference play. That, that is a tremendous jump in one year. And, and look, we're 16 games in the, the conference season now too. So that's not small sample size. And I tell you what, if he's able to make a jump like that again, or even maybe 60% of that jump next year, we're going to have to go back and revisit the, the can MJ Walker be an NBA prospect because he starts shooting 41, 42% from three and gets those turnover rate down even a little bit more. All of a sudden you're looking at a very dangerous player. And and of course that would make Florida state a a very dangerous team. So, so really, really hat tip to MJ Walker for, for the clear work that that kid has put in over the off season and, and during this season. 
let's uh, let's move on a bit to some of the the national talk uh, before we get to Louisville. We we talked yes or the last podcast there was a number of games that we were having our eye on as far as that they could impact some of the some of the seeding. Unfortunately, a late one didn't quite go FSU's way. It would have been huge to get Oregon to lose to Arizona, but Oregon pulled one out there in the final second thanks to a pair of missed free throws by Arizona with a second to go gave Oregon a one point uh, win in overtime. But but there were some shocking upsets. Uh, so why don't, you, why don't you touch on a couple of those around around the country? Well, the 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 big ones uh, were both after our game. So San Diego State, who is or was undefeated and has played no one. They they lost at home to UNLV. UNLV is not – this is not Jerry Tarkanian's UNLV. This is not a particularly good team. That's a, that's a bad loss. And so it was their first loss of the season. Um, they also – I think I believe that was a quad three loss. And then Gonzaga kind of got rolled a little bit at BYU. If you, if you haven't seen – BYU's uh, um, home gym. Ooh, it's, it's, it's it's pretty impressive. They, you know, they're I guess they're technically a mid major, but they're playing in this you know just massive sold out gym. Twenty thousand uh, uh, people there, and and the play the seats go straight up too. I mean that noise is deafening. Yeah, good for them. And they and they're, they're a pretty good team this year. They're definitely a tourney team. They're going to be I don't know six seed or something. Um, but but they knocked off Gonzaga. It was Gonzaga's first. Uh, conference loss of, of the year um, and then you know the the game before ours you know Kansas Baylor it's it Baylor lost they're, they're the one seed it, it's not going to affect it's not going to impact them at all it was just it was it was a really impressive to see two teams who are just that good going at each other for 40 minutes and it and it gave me a great filter to kind of watch the Louisville game tomorrow you know, Florida State and Louisville are two kind of big-time programs right now and, and great teams. And I, and I want to be able to compare just the visual of how Kansas and Baylor looked compared to how Florida State and Louisville looked to see, to see if, you know, Florida State and Louisville also look like that, you know, kind of big-time college basketball in an, in an impressive, you know, so, sort of sold-out environment. The Kansas-Baylor game was, was very impressive. Athletes all over the place, shot-making You've got uh, Yudoka Azabuki, who uh, I, I don't honestly don't know why his name hasn't been brought up in the Adidas stuff. I think there was some pretty clear evidence when he was in high school and, and considering Florida State a Nike school or Kansas an Adidas school of, of some stuff that went on. But um, he, he was almost unst- – I mean, did you see his shot chart? It was he – he was, I believe, 11 of 13 – Every single shot was taken within three or four feet of the rim. And, and he had eight dunks of those 13, eight made dunks on the 13 shot attempts. So he was fantastic. I, I do wish that we could see Florida State and Louisville play on, on maybe two days rest as opposed to one. Like, I don't know. I wish we were playing Tuesday instead of Monday. But, but you're right. That's going to be a great, uh, a, a great opportunity to compare the two different uh, basketball games and get a, get a good look at two teams who have or four teams who have hopes of going far in March. Let's go back to San Diego state and Gonzaga. I feel like Gonzaga probably still is safe on the one line, although their, their wins from the early season, Washington, UNC, those aren't as impressive as perhaps folks thought they were at the time, but San Diego state kind of feels to me like they were given a one seed because they were undefeated. And because anyone, any team that goes 30, and or 31 and it probably deserves a, a one seed. With, with a quad three loss on the tally now, if, if they pick up 
one more loss, let's say, let's say they lose in the semifinals of their conference tournament. Does Florida State have an opportunity to, to maybe pass them on the S-curve? Not, not even – Florida State's not getting a one seed. Could San Diego State fall to a three and open the door for a two seed there? I think if any of those teams are, that's the, I mean, that's the team. Like, Baylor lost, and they shouldn't drop at all. I still think that they should be the number one team in the country despite the loss. Yeah, Baylor has, like, um, 10 quad one wins or 11. Yeah, so, right. I mean, yeah. and, and San Diego State has, I believe, four, and now they have a quad three loss. Uh, they they did. We were just we were just raving about BYU a little bit, and they did beat BYU um, early in the season. So Without that, Yoli Childs, yeah, that's true. They but it's still a good win for them. Um, but in, in coming down the stretch in the Mountain West, they play Colorado State, Nevada. You know those are not those are not tournament basketball teams. If if they were to lose one of those games, or even if they lose, you know, in the Mountain West tournament, uh, you know, there's just there's just not a lot of you know, quality basketball being played. Utah State would probably be the big one. Um, you know, Nevada is is it's not the Nevada team that we saw in the in the last couple of tournaments. You know, this is just it's not a, it's not a great league this year. And San Diego State has no opportunity to improve their resume. You know, the only thing that they can possibly do is is damage it. Yeah, and in a way, they're a bit kind of like a poor man's ACC in that they have one team at the top and really not a whole lot beneath them. The ACC has three teams at the top, but really not much. You know, Virginia looks like they're, they're starting to figure some things out, and, and I, I personally would not want to be facing them if, if I were, let's say, Virginia was a, a 10 seed. I don't think I'd want to be the two seed facing them uh, in the second round. But for all intents and purposes, the ACC right now has kind of three teams at the top and, and not a lot of heft. And that's kind of what's been keeping Florida State from – you look at the record and you think 23-4, and four, that should – we should be right in line for a two-seed. And sure, a lot of years, 23-4, and four, you might even be pushing for a one-seed. Unfortunately, there just hasn't been a lot of really high-quality wins that Florida State's been able to rack up partly because of some teams that they played in the out-of-conference that haven't performed as well now in-conference. And then the ACC has just lacked some opportunities. One reason why the win yesterday was so big, that gave them a fourth quad one win. And, and for those that maybe aren't familiar, that the last couple of years, the NCAA selection committee has switched to, a, um, instead of just breaking things down by, you know, did you, what are good wins and bad wins, they've, they've defined that a quad one win is any any win that is if you so in, follow me here, it's if it's if you're at home and you play a top thirty team, a top fifty team at a neutral site, or a top seventy five team on the road. So depending on the location of the game, the uh, the rank of the team that you're playing, the credit you get kind of changes. And so yesterday, uh, Florida State was playing NC State, who's somewhere right around top fifty, but because they it was a road game, they were able to get a quad one win. And, and the basic thing is, is quad one and two wins are good. Quad three and four losses are bad. So you want to you have a lot more quad one and two wins than you do three and four losses. FSU doesn't have any quad three and four losses, but they do lack some of the top level wins. And so when we're looking at other teams around them in the bracket matrix, right? So Florida State is currently straddling that two and three seed line on the bracket matrix. The, the teams around them are Maryland, Dayton. Seton Hall, Louisville, Creighton. Well, when you look at the quad run records, this is where you start to see some problems in the Florida State resume. So 
So, Michael, let, which of those teams, if you just had to guess, uh, FSU, Maryland, Seton Hall, Dayton, Creighton, and Louisville, which team has the most quad one wins, do you think? Um, just without, without cheating, I'm going to go with Maryland. They play in the Big Ten, so maybe they, they The good guess, leading. and they do have more than, than FSU, but they're, they're six and four. Believe it or not, Seton Hall is ten and five in the quad one. Seton Hall has as many quad one wins as Florida State, I, I believe, has combined quad one and two. And so when folks say, well, how could Seton Hall possibly be, you know, ahead or a threat to Florida State? Seton Hall is 19 and seven. Yeah, well, half their wins on the season have been quad one wins. That, that's a big deal. Uh, Maryland is six and four. Actually, Creighton is eight and six. And so the, the teams like Florida State, which is four and three, by the way, uh, that's Dayton's four and two. So Florida State and Dayton have the same number of quad one wins. Uh, Dayton has fewer overall losses. And then Louisville's right there at four and four, also suffering from playing in a down ACC. Again, look at the importance of, of the game on Monday. That is a quad one opportunity for both teams. But there is a game today, Sunday, but that Maryland against Ohio State, that is a game with immense uh, ramifications. And, and Maryland could pick up a seventh quad one win today with an at Ohio State win. So, Michael, do you – Obviously, we are huge Buckeye fans today, but do you think the Buckeyes have a chance? The, you know, they, 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 they were playing pretty much like hot garbage there for a while, but they are now um, – they, they seem to have righted the ship a little bit. So I've, I've got uh, hope. Either they had lost, I think, six of seven at one point, and now they've, they've won probably like five of seven. Uh, so they've, they've turned it around. Um, I, I think that, that they're definitely going to give – uh, you know Maryland a good run for their money. They they may even be favored in this game. I haven't I haven't looked at, at, at the uh, at the at the Vegas line, but yeah, for sure Maryland's got a big chance to pick up a loss today. And Ohio State is seven and eight in the Big Ten, so they need they're not going to win enough to catch us. So this is a pretty clear case where we want Ohio State to knock off Maryland. Yeah, and and Creighton by the way is is home against Butler. And, and I don't have the net. I, I don't think Butler is in the top 30 on the net. So uh, let me actually, I think I can, uh, let's see here. They are actually. Butler has moved up in recent weeks. and they, so, so Creighton gets a shot at another quad one win today as well. So F Florida State fans, if, you're, if, you're gonna be, if you listen to this on Sunday and you're looking for get basketball to watch on Sunday, uh, Butler – you want to be big Butler and big Ohio state fans because Creighton and Maryland are two teams that are now fighting for what appears to be potentially an open two seed spot with Florida state. And, and they both have more, they, they both have more quad one wins than Florida state. Uh, so, so keep an eye on those. All right. Uh, oh, and I, one other thing on the, on the note to watch when, when you're thinking of rooting guides, can we please get out of just the, well, I don't like this team. I, I know that none of us like to root for certain teams, but there is such a massive difference between uh, being a two seed in the tournament versus being a three or a four in terms of your odds statistically of making a deep run. So anything Florida state can do to, to get on that two seed line, one of which is needing Virginia tech to, to finish strong Virginia techs hanging outside that 76, 77 spot on net. And, uh, and if Florida, if they can jump into the top 75, that automatically get the Florida state's already earned that top of uh, quad one win. So Virginia tech wins are good wins from here on out. 
And, and that, you know, it's funny how basketball works like that, but, you know, sitting here during the middle of the week, Florida state's resume can all of a sudden look a lot better just because Virginia tech wins some random game against Clemson. So uh, go Virginia tech, go Butler today and, and go Ohio state as well. All right, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, uh, Rogner, Michael is going to give us a, a pretty deep dive look into Louisville, this, this monster match uh, that we have on Monday. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right. We're back. We've we've talked NC State win. We've talked the national landscape and, and how Florida State is firmly in that mix for fighting for a two seed. Now let's look at the, at the Cardinals who are coming to town looking to exact some revenge for Florida State's win in, Louisville, in the Yum Center earlier this year. It, it's frankly, Florida State's by far the best win on its resume. Being able to sweep the Cardinals would go a long way towards building up some credit towards that two seed. And it just might give FSU a, a regular season title of the Metro Conference. Oh, uh, did I say that? Sorry, uh, the ACC conference here. Uh, what what uh, what should we be looking for with Louisville coming into town? It's been about eight weeks since we played them. What's Louisville been doing, Michael? Yeah, so uh, since the, since the loss to, uh, to Florida State, they they kind of went on a run. They won ten in a row, I think, um, and then they struggled a little bit. They dropped a couple road games, Georgia Tech and Clemson, not games that they should be losing if you're a, you know if you're a top ten team. And now they've, they've won a couple of home games against Syracuse and North Carolina. So they're coming into Florida State probably, uh, you know, maybe you know, not playing their, their best basketball, but they're still uh, an extremely dangerous team, very talented. Uh, they've got Jordan Nora, who's even – even though he's had some bad games recently, you'll, re- you'll recall that he scored uh, 32 against Florida State and had to go along with 10 boards. Um, They've got plenty of talent. I mean, this, this, is a, this is a hell of a team. And if you go back to that first game, um, which Florida State, you know, pretty much handed Louisville their ass. So Florida State won the first half, I think, by seven points. They won the second half by six or seven points. So it was, it was pretty pretty dominant performance by Florida State. Um, but Louisville uh, rebounded almost half their misses in that game, which is why it wasn't a 20-point win or a 25-point win. And I th- they've, they've only had more offensive rebounds once this year. So Florida State's going to have to get that figured out. I mean, we, we cannot be giving uh, that many extra chances to, to a team like Louisville, you know, especially when you see a lot of, like, kick-out threes and stuff coming off of offensive rebounds. Uh, that, that'll be one, one big thing, you know, that needs to change. The other thing is that Florida State only attempted five – only got to the free throw line five times – that that's got to change too you know this is uh even though <laughs> even though we won that game you know handily there's there, there's still some concerns there's there's still some um you know pretty clear improvements that that Florida State can make um 
you know, in this game on Monday. And then also, you know, this is one of those, another one of those weird games where we're just coming off no rest. You know, we, we, we play on the road at, at, in, at North Carolina, North Carolina state yesterday, and then come back and immediately have to have to suit it up for Louisville. So it's, it's not like the coaches are getting a ton of time to prepare for this game. It's just, you know, let's, let's remember the film. <laughs> let's remember the film from the first game and then go out and, uh, you know, see what happens tomorrow. Yeah, the rest is the rest slash time to repair is is a really interesting one because I don't know that on the one hand you may say okay the first time out you know we did X Y and Z and Florida State looked like they had a clear plan that first time out to let Jordan Noir get his and shut down everybody else and and Noir did go off for thirty two points and the rest of the team scored thirty three so um, it seemed like it had its desired effect. On the, on the one hand, you might say, well, they're going to be expect, should we do something else? And you really don't have a ton of time to put in anything to, to, to make a massive change. I mean, Florida State got back probably, uh, what, 10, 9, 9 p.m. last night. You want to get guys rest, get them hydrated. I'm sure they're doing a walkthrough today. And then, and then tomorrow, you know, you go to school, go to class, and you come play a game. Louisville, the same thing. They played yesterday afternoon, got to fly down to Tallahassee and, 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 get some rest and, and go through a walkthrough. So I, it'll be interesting to see how many more wrinkles each coach feels like they can put in on a short notice. And, and you know, you don't want to get your guys thinking too much. At some point you just want to be able to execute what you do well and go out there and believe that your system and trust your system and, and execute the shots. The other thing that the rest makes it interesting is that in the first game, you know, we shot 11 for 23 from three. We got great MJ Walker in that game. He was five for seven. We also had uh, Raekwon Evans make one. We had Vassell make a couple. And I, even though we shoot well at home, and we do shoot well at home, I'm expecting Wyatt Wilkes, who didn't even play in the first game, to at least have a made three uh, in, in the game on Monday. I don't know that you can ever expect to go 11 to 23, 48% from three. So, you know, what is Florida State going to do to be able to find a way, like you said, to get to the free throw line, find a way to manufacture points that are that are not open threes? If they fall, great, but I don't know that you can count on repeating that performance. From the Louisville side of things, David Johnson's a guy who won't, he didn't even play 20 minutes the first time. He is, has started to play a lot more than that. He played, uh, let's see, just in their last four games, he played 24, 26, 23, and 28. So I, can, I think you could expect more than the 19 he played in our first game. And, and he's a freshman who's really started to come into his own. He's 6'5", 210. He has a, a really high – he leads the conference in assist ratio, uh, assist rate for, for conference-only games. And so the first time, you know, we didn't really face uh, him as much. Is he a concern in terms of this dribble, you know, the same concerns you had with Markel Johnson, the dribble drive and, and, you know, breaking guys down off the dribble. Is David Johnson one of those types? Absolutely. And they, so they, after their two questionable losses, they made two changes to their starting lineup. Uh, one is to put David Johnson in the game and, and one is to put Malik Williams, um, you know, in, in, in the starting lineup, Malik Williams is a, you know, kind of a borderline five-star who is now, I believe, a junior. And um, so he's becoming more of a problem. But but David Johnson, yeah, that guy has uh, 
put up some really impressive games. I think it was the Duke game where it was his sort of, you know, coming out game game for the year when, when uh, uh, Louisville won on the road and, and, and won at Duke. David Johnson scored like 19 points and had eight assists or something. So, yeah, he, he kind of came out that game and he, he's still playing a little bit like a freshman, but he for sure has uh, – um, you know, a little bit of problem in his game. So we, we talk a lot about Patrick Williams, you know, Patrick Williams has been super fun to watch coming on strong and, and, and David Johnson's kind of their version of Patrick Williams. Like he, he's this guy who's just sort of putting it together as they, as they come down the stretch of his, um, you know, freshman season. So he, you know, he's a little bigger, he's like six, five, he's, he's got some size to him, but for sure he's a, he's a terror in transition and, you know, he'll he'll definitely be a much greater focus of Florida State scouting report than he was in the first game. Right, and and so Florida State did two things really well in that first game. They shot, they made threes, and they turned Louisville over. I believe they turned Louisville over around twenty four percent, which is anytime you're turning a team over a quarter of the time they have the ball, that that is good news. And and you're not only giving yourself easy opportunities, you're taking away their opportunities. I, with David Johnson running point now, he had eight assists and no turnovers in that loss against uh, Clemson. The next game out, he has seven assists and no turnovers in a win in a blowout over Syracuse. He did turn the ball over four times against North Carolina, but you know th- that's an up and down game. Both both Louisville and, and UNC can get up go up and down the court, and so sometimes those are turnovers that are trying to make a play and not just careless. And, and he still had five assists, so. You know, you're talking about a guy who's had 20 assists in the last couple of games. So clearly he's capable of making plays for others. He's controlling tempo. He's getting Louisville in and out of, of their sets. And, and as you said, he's, he's really just coming into his own. And, and I'm not sure that, that Florida State has – there's just not, a, you know, a lot of times when you face a, fresh, a big freshman, 6'5", 210 athletic guard – who is that capable at getting his teammates involved. But one thing I will say that's good news is he's, he's not really a three-point threat. He's only uh, – I think he's only attempted 19 on the season, and he's only made five. Of course, we know one game sample size, anything can happen, but at least that – you know. It's so is, is this an opportunity maybe where, again, shrink the court like we just did to Markel Johnson and, and Darum maybe to shoot over the top of some of our length? Yeah, I think with freshmen like like Johnson, you 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 kind of want to mix up the defense a little bit and try to confuse them. Um, we haven't mentioned that he also has he suffered a pretty debilitating injury during during the summer. So another part of his uh, um, surge is that he's just you know he's he's healthy now. Um, but if you can if you can kind of mix up how you're guarding guys, so when you know we're we're going to be switching everything. Uh, maybe maybe some maybe we throw a little bit of zone at him. You know, just try to uh, you know put a lot of pressure on him. But we're going to put certain we're we're going to put more pressure on him certainly than Clemson and and some of those other games you mentioned where he had good assists and, and no turnovers. Um, and then you just kind of mix up the D a little bit and 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 try to confuse him and and hopefully you know he's a tough kid, but hopefully you know Florida State is able to rattle him a little bit which you know even the best freshmen you see that late in the season they're still you know capable of being rattled I'm not saying we're going to do it but we're certainly going to try to do it I, and I'm wondering too about the atmosphere I I've been to a, a quite quite a few games in the Tuck, Tucker Center all the way back to some of the the huge 
you know, I guess I've been all the way back since the same Sam Cassell and Bob Sura days, but in the Hamilton era, you know, it got pretty, pretty loud. And some, when, when Florida state was first coming on the scene under with Tim Pickett, and, and I think there was three or four games in a row where there was a stork corming. I, I recall Scott Van Pelt kind of saying stuff about it on sports center. And it was like Wake Forest, UNC and somebody else all back to back to back. were in the top 10 and, and Florida state was knocking folks off left and right back then. They couldn't win anything on the road, but um, so the, the Tugger Center is certainly a place that can get loud when, when the bodies are in there. And, and I fully expect the, this place to be rocking and rolling on a, on a Monday night in, in, you know, top, probably should be a top 10 showdown, maybe top 11 team showdown. But so the atmosphere could be something in which the freshman gets rattled by the same token. You don't want Florida state guys to go out and maybe be a little too amped up and too jacked up. And all of a sudden, we've got guys sitting on the bench with two fouls because they were trying to trying to be a little too aggressive. So I, I think that could could maybe be a blessing or, or a gift with with the rattling of David Johnson, but it also could could potentially be something to watch out for Florida State over overreacting to the moment. I can't believe we probably spent ten minutes talking Louisville and haven't really touched on Jordan Wara. He he did have some of those rough games of. of, of you know, against Syracuse, Georgia Tech, he got benched at one point. He didn't even play the final four or five minutes against Georgia Tech. Maybe he came in there for 30 seconds or so. And that seems to have straightened out. He had a good performance yesterday against UNC. He's still shooting 42% on the season from three on 166 shots. Are you expecting Nora to come in here focused? And, and I'm assuming that he's going to be good Jordan Noir. And, and quite honestly, I feel like we're kind of getting Louisville on the wrong week. Like, I almost wish we would have played them two weeks ago, but you, I'm, I'm guessing your expectations for Noir haven't changed. No, he's, he's still the guy. I mean, he, he's, he is one of the most talented players we're going to, we're going to face this year. And if you remember back to that first game, um, Florida state did not do anything special with their defense in the first half. And then they came out in the second half having Vassell face guarding Nora. And that, you know, that, that was concerning at the time because we had outscored them in the first half and then we changed our defense in the second half. But it did, um, you know, have an effect on Warren. He's, he's still got his in the second, but it was all off broken plays and that sort of thing. So I'll, I'll just be really interested to see how Ham chooses to defend him. He's still, it's still very, uh, you know, obvious that he's the one guy who's, who's capable of just putting the team on his back. and you, you, well, we've seen Ham kind of treat those guys, to, you know, different ways. Sometimes just kind of letting them get there. Sometimes base guarding, trying to shut them down. So it'll be interesting to see, um, you know, sort of that coaching chess match and and how long that lasts and and whether or not we're mixing it up and you know all that kind of fun stuff. Yeah, I that that sounds right. I, he he's not the only guy who can shoot threes though for Louisville. And and this really, you know, again, we'll see about this one day rest thing, but. Tucker Center has pretty good sight lines. It's one of the better one of the better arenas that you'll play in as a shooter. And and Louisville's got Darius Perry making forty percent uh, on the year from three. They've got Ryan McMahon. I'm sure if if Dickie V's on the call, he'll tell you all about. Uh, and he's shooting forty two percent from three. And even Dwayne Sutton, you know, bigger uh, not bigger, but more of a wing than a guard. But he can he's knocking down thirty seven percent. So you know, Florida State is, is one of it's bet it probably best shooting team in four or five years is second in the conference in three point shooting and conference only games right around 39%. Well, guess who's number one 
Louisville's coming in making 40% of their threes in conference games this year. That's a big reason why they're 14 and three in conference play. I, I don't know, Michael, are you expecting these two, the top two three point shooting teams in the country to light it up or, or is, is this something where maybe tired legs were late in the season, late February, uh, two games in three days is could tired legs maybe play a factor here in the second half. Well, both teams lit it up last time around. I mean, Florida State made 11 of 23 and, and Louisville made 8 of 19. Uh, so I, I don't think there's there's any uh, – I don't think we should have expectations that just because Louisville's playing on short rest that they're going to they're gonna struggle to shoot. I mean, this, this team is – they've got some dudes. They, they're, they're tough. They can shoot. They can, they, they can do a lot of the same things that Florida State can do. And if – if there is a case of tired legs, you know, that's, that's probably going to be the difference in the game. And that, that could be Florida state. I mean, we just had four guys play all 20 minutes in the second half, um, you know, and, and Louisville was, was uh, celebrating an easy romp over UNC. Exactly. They, they had, uh, you know, they won that game by like 17 or something and, and they still had their starters play too many minutes. That's just the way their coach is. But, but uh, they, they, they did, um, probably rest a little more than Florida State did and you know who knows it's 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 hard to predict how these you know when there's only one one day in between the games how they're going to play out in terms of, of legs but uh, I'm, I'm hoping that Florida State is, is ready to go and Louisville's not but that's not anything that that we can plan on. Yeah, not something you can plan around. And, and, you know, unfortunately, it's just a reality of the game. And, and just like as it's reality that Trent Forrest has been playing nearly 80 minute, uh, 80% of the minutes uh, on the team season. So, yeah, maybe Florida State is the team that, that struggles a little. We certainly struggled against UNC with our shooting on, on one-day rest. Neither UNC nor Florida State shot well in that game. And we certainly struggled with our shooting against Duke on one-day rest although that was a road game uh, on the one day. So, yeah, you know what? It very well could be Florida State, back to the point of finding other ways to manufacture points, and and some of that comes from your defense. One other question that I want to hit your way before we maybe do a preview or a prediction. In the first game against Louisville, Bolsa was hurt, I believe. He he played zero minutes. Uh, Wyatt Wilkes played zero minutes. And Patrick Williams did play 24, but he was just sort of starting to come into his own. He only had two points in that game. Wasn't really needed all that well. He did have three blocks. But so is Florida State maybe in a different position in late February than we were in early January? And would you expect maybe Patrick to have more of an impact on this game? I'm not sure that Louisville has a great cover for him if you stick – you stick Sutton on him, you know, there's a, there's a height advantage, disadvantage there. If you stick Nora on him, Williams is the better athlete. So I'm not exactly sure who they defend Patrick Williams with. Uh, and then Bolsa too. Bolsa is a guy who can present some matchup problems as well. Are you expecting maybe one of those two guys to have a greater impact than, than they did the first game? I, I could see Balsa. I mean, this is a tricky thing with Louisville because they have some bigs. They're not necessarily traditional bigs. We beat them playing small last time. Dom only played seven minutes, and as you mentioned, um, Balsa didn't play at all. So, we, we you know, the, the, the track record suggests that we're probably going to go small. Um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll once again, I'll, t- I'll take my guy Wyatt, you know, of, of the guys who didn't play. Wyatt's going to come in and, and, and bury some threes. He's, he's like shooting 40% and 
uh, on the season now. He he seems to have uh, whatever that that weird air, air ball that he likes to put up. He, he he he's maybe gotten that out of his system now a little a little bit. And I don't think he's going to play much against Louisville, but I would look, I would look for him to come in and and you know not be shy. Uh, and, and we need him to make some shots. I just I just don't know that that Balsa and Dom are are quite uh, the right fit for this matchup. It's kind of like the NC State game. We you know we we pointed out in the preview that FSU is probably going to play small for most of the game, and and you know neither of those bigs even stepped on the court in the second half. They'll probably get a few more minutes against Louisville, but I just I just don't really like that matchup. I like I like going small. Yeah, I Wyatt. I mean, I, I'm having visions of McMahon hitting an early three, and then Wyatt coming right back down and, and getting one getting one in his face, and maybe those two going tit for tat there for for a couple rounds. It's going to be a fun game. I, I if you're in Tallahassee or in the area, I would. It, I hope you already have your ticket because I think it's going to be a tough one to come by. The atmosphere should be electric. Do you have a, a prediction for us, Mr. Robner? Are, are you going to go with the, the, the reverse jinx again? Or, or, you know, maybe I guess you can't say if you are or not because then it's not a reverse jinx. So Yeah, I don't want to give away my secrets, but I've yeah. got a very, very complex system. And it turns out That's that I'm, I'm always kind of right regardless yep. of, of what I say. So I, I, Florida State has a chance here. Now there's, there's four games left in the season. They have a chance for – we talked a lot about quad one wins earlier – a chance to pick up three straight quad one runs. Clemson's kind of right on that edge. Uh, of, of, so hopefully if they don't suck, you know, winning at Clemson will, would can be, become a quad one win, which I know I'm supposed to be giving a prediction here, but I just have to point out that if winning at Clemson and winning at Baylor is the exact same thing in terms of quads, then this whole net thing is a little – yeah, uh, a little, a little wonky. I, I think uh, there is a, a distinction between like one at quad one A and quad one B. I'm not sure exactly where that line falls, but I've heard some talk about that by the committee. Like, I, I don't know. You get like super credit for for beating Baylor on the road, but only like it's an A to beat Clemson, but an A plus to beat Baylor. I, I'm not exactly sure. They yeah. they won't give us the the actual method to the madness. So, but but beating. Beating Louisville at home, I'm assuming, is like good, good, like super good, A plus, whatever, whatever category uh, they, they, maybe, they want to call maybe. it. Maybe that might be equal to beating NC State on the road. <laughs> to be oh, honest, this is, this is really dragging me down here. Yeah. <laughs> in, the, in the later stages of a of a pod. Uh, okay, so I think that you know we kind of handed it to Louisville last time i don't see that that a repeat of that game but i do think that Florida State is going to be fired up and ready to roll and uh most likely we'll see a repeat of the NC State game in the second half where we're just going to kind of filter the number of guys who are actually playing so hopefully foul trouble enable, enables that to to uh, occur or or lack of foul trouble i guess um, and Florida State is able able to kind of ride their 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 big three and pick up the win. I'm gonna I'm gonna take a uh, let's say I think we're gonna make some threes, so I'll take a higher scoring game. I think Florida State is gonna win like 76, 72. That would be a that would be a fun game. 76. I I hope for the fans and 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 TV sake, you're right. I uh, I think I'm gonna go. I think both teams are gonna come out really jacked up, and and they're gonna use a whole lot of adrenaline and emotion early in the game. 
And I'm actually wondering if, if I'm thinking we might get, get kind of devolved into an old fashioned slugfest between two teams who are long and, and have, you know, kind of similar styles of play. And so I, I think it could be a rock fight here for a little while. I, I will say that Florida state emerges victorious. I actually think it's going to be Patrick Williams taking over down the stretch, maybe the last three or four minutes of the game with some offensive rebounds, a corner three, getting to the free throw line. I'll take Florida State 65, Louisville 63 in, in a game that has some ugly moments, uh, but, but also a lot of dunks and, and block shots along the way. All right, so both of us predicting a win. Hopefully that comes true. Is there anything else in the land of, of Florida State hoops that we should be paying attention to, Michael? Yeah, sort of Florida State future hoops, I guess. Uh, Bryce McGowans, who, who committed to, to Florida State a couple weeks ago, he uh, went into a playoff game. He, he's in South Carolina, went into a playoff game and scored 67 points, which I don't His even know how. His team scored 67 or he scored 67? Bryce McGowan scored 67. I'm not, oh. I'm not quite sure what, nice. what his, what yeah, his nice. team scored. <laughs> Yeah, that seems that seems good. Can we get and, him to reclassify uh, two classes right now? Come on up for that. That would be one. nice. Yeah, yeah. There's there's some talk of of Michael Foster reclassifying to this class, but I have not heard any talk of of the good McGowan's brother reclassing, unfortunately. And then uh, Kadir Calhoun, who's our sort of JUCO stud, he, he may be the best JUCO player in the country, which they all, they usually go to Louisville since we're playing Louisville tomorrow. Yeah, night. they do. They, uh, do. they but not this year. The the best JUCO players actually come into Florida State and he went out yesterday and scored 51 points and to go to go along with 15 rebounds. So we've got some recruits that are just putting up silly numbers and I I I don't recall an awful lot of that, you know, from from some of our recruits in the past. I I, I don't I don't I certainly don't remember anyone scoring 67 or a JUCO guy scoring 51. So it's it's fun to see or actually not see to read about. I'm I'm trying to figure out how to how to watch Juco games online, but it's, it gets a little confusing. Sometimes. I'm going to trust that you, if, if you're not able to find a way to watch Juco games online, then I'm just going to say it's probably not happening. So I'm going to trust, trust you to give me some insight into that uh, process. Maybe you can drop a link in the comment section. If you find it 51 and 15 in a Juco game is mighty impressive, particularly for a guard. Uh, so Calhoun, I, I am really excited about this guy. I, I can, I, I'm hoping that he is able to get in during the summer because as we've seen from a lot of, this is just the nature of Juco ball. They don't necessarily play in a very structured defensive environment. And that I've seen a little bit of some of the high, I mean, you know, their highlights, what can you tell? But it, I would imagine that he's got a learning curve there for, for our running our defensive sets, but man, that kid can flat out shoot the basketball and the elevation that he gets on his shot and, and around the rim is impressive. I, I'm really excited about this kid coming in uh, next year. So thanks for, thanks for the tip on that. And, and please, if, if you figure out a way to watch his games live or, you know, or, or tape delay, let us, let us know. All right. For, for Michael, I'm Matt. We're going to come at you hopefully after a win against Louisville, but we'll, we'll break, that, uh, break that game down later or early, early this week. Take care.